0: Okay, there, dude. Blah, blah, blah. Ooh, that's a weird intro. Hey, welcome to Ben's Keep. I am Daniel, and uh am going to talk about a couple things in this episode. One is going to be the idea of, this is kind of a response a little bit to BJ over at Arcade Aliens uh, Spelljammer episode, so check that one out. Uh, it's not directly a response, but it's kind of was inspired by it, we'll call it. Um, then I've got, uh, I got a note on Twitter from uh, Rob over at uh, Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy that I'm going to talk a little bit about, Um, and then we've got some calls from, let's see, we've got from Cleric's Royal Ringmail, Taylor, we've got Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast, and also Goblin's Henchman calls in, and we talk about a few different things from Magic Swords to the Wizard of Oz. So, in any case, uh, buckle up, and let's get to it. So, (laughs) this is maybe interesting, and it's something I'm kind of planning on doing on some level, and I'm curious what people think. It's part, This is partially a response a little bit to a BJ's Spelljammer episode. I left him a few messages, but then I thought, I'm not going to leave him a super long message. I'll just put it here. And if you see here, this BJ, and you want to reply back, please do. Um, so he's creating, if you haven't checked out that episode, I'll see if I can put a link. I'm terrible at putting links in the description, but I will try. But anyway, Arcane Alienist BJ, um, go check out uh, his episode. It's called Spelljammer, I believe. It's probably like like number fifty one or fifty two because I know he just had the fiftieth episode, but anyways he's he's talking about creating this spelljammer for essentially um using white box, which is of course a clone of uh o d and d and creating this kind of spelljammer world, and he's talking about the different classes and the different races that he's making for it, which is really exciting, and I know that we as dungeon masters, especially when we're building our worlds do that kind of stuff, right? It's really fun to think, oh, what races would be here? What classes would be here? But I've been thinking more and more about the idea of keeping, like minimizing what is the kind of stock character list. And even to a certain extent, the stock spell list. That's something else I'm going to talk about in the future. But the idea that there's fighters, you know, there's magic users, there's clerics. But when you come to the table and you're going to make your character, for me, if you tell me, uh, oh, you know, I want to be a bard or I want to be an orc or I want to be, uh, you know, whatever, you can make that character if you want. And the the two of us together can work to create essentially a customized class that is just for you. And I think in a really super rules light game, or at least... A game that lacks a lot of crunch, and what I mean by crunch in this case is like numbers, like that things matter a lot, like lots of bonuses, lots of special abilities that are gained per level, this is pretty easy to do, I think, right? If you come to me and say, well, I want to play a barbarian, so, you know, I don't want to be wearing plate armor all the time, yeah, um, you know, you know I'm, I have toughened skin and, and whatever, we can figure out a way to make that work, right? To give you certain bonuses there and either adjust... The experience points up, so maybe you're a fighter, but you automatically get a bonus to your, to your, uh, to your armor class because you're you're this barbarian, um, but you have to now pay pay for that in experience points, right? Um, or perhaps as a level cap, you could do it that way too. There's lots of different ways to do it, right? And some abilities don't really matter, right? They're just kind of things that you can do. If you just say, well, I want to be a ranger, uh, I would very easily just say, okay, well, you're a fighter and. When you're in the woods and stuff, you can track. That doesn't cost anything. Like, that's just your background. That's what you want to be. We don't need to make a class that's a ranger, right? You are just have this background. It doesn't break the game to give you these abilities. I don't need to to make it a rule uh, in that spot. If everybody else was trying to track the orcs and I was giving them a 2 and 6 chance, well, you're a ranger. Maybe you'll automatically do it or maybe you'll have a 5 and 6 chance, right? Uh, This is not something that we need to set in stone. And I wonder if this comes down to my very loose interpretation of, you know, the, the rulings over rules, right? Like, I, I feel like a lot of things in play, if you want to be Robin Hood or you want to be King Arthur or you want to be, uh, you know, uh, D'Artagnan, I know these are all coming from different <laughs> types of fantasy, but uh, you, they're all fighters, right? All of them are fighters. It's just a matter of how they operate, how they dress. Maybe you have, or, you know, what, what types of weapons they use. And if you want to... I mean, honestly, if you want a lot of credit on my table and you want to play Barbarian, you won't beg for better armor class when you don't wear armor. You'll just not wear armor because that's what your character would do, right, um, in certain situations. And you'll get benefits sometimes, maybe when you're sneaking and that kind of stuff. You know, Even Conan put on heavy armor when he went into to battle, but he didn't walk around with that every day, right? So, uh, I don't know. I think that, uh, that the idea of creating all these classes is really fun for us as GMs to sit down and be like, oh, I want to give the... goods the, is going back to BJ. You know, he wants to give these options. So he's like, I'm going to make... I'm going to give them Tabatskys to play and I'm going to give them Warforges to play and I'm going to give them whatever. But why not have a child come to your table and say, tell me about the character you want to play and then just make a class for them? Because essentially... You can just look at the classes and the races that exist and combine things to make it work, right? If, which I think is essentially what what he's doing, anyways, right? Uh, you know, I think he pretty much said his Tabaski class is essentially uh, an elf, right? But they're they look like cats, I guess. So, you know, you can just do that, right? It's like, oh, you want this is a joke that I often make when somebody is in my BX game and they're like, oh, I want to play, you know, something that doesn't exist in BX. I just usually go, oh, so an elf, right? And, you know, this is it, right? Why can't we just. Uh, do that and make custom characters for every player. I wonder how difficult that would be, you know, to do this. And if you're planning a campaign that's going to last and hopefully these characters are going to survive, it's worth it, right? And of course, once you do it one time, if somebody else wants to play that, that race or that class, you already have brief notes on it. But you can create something on the spot that, you know, maybe with a little bit of a thought process that works. And I think if you have good player buy-in and good GM buy-in, You can even say, okay, you want to play uh, Psionic? Okay, well, I'm going to give you these abilities, but just understand we've not tested this, so if it's crazy or powered or whatever, we're going to have to adjust it. And, you know, if your player's good with that, which they should be, then all's good, right? Uh, I don't think that there's really any loss in just allowing people to kind of create their own classes um, as they go. And this also takes a lot of burden off us up front um, as far as, uh, you know, creating a world let's say now obviously if you are playing in a more fixed place because i know for instance uh, bj's got amazing if you haven't listened to bj's entire catalog i recommend going all the way back to the beginning because he's got his whole world building that he's done which is really great i'm too lazy to that kind of stuff so for me if you want to play you know uh, if i'm playing in like a, a, a fantasy you know germany uh setting right and you want to play uh a character that would be more, uh, you know, something that might be more kind of Middle Eastern, you know, with uh, scimitars and, 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 you know, riding, uh, you know, uh, across the desert and stuff like that. And now you've traveled here. You know, I have no problem with just adding that to my world because I have not, I don't build the world out that far personally. So I don't, I don't have an issue with that. So, um, you know, all you could say, well, you know, I'm from a race of, uh you know, these, these salamander people that, that live in the desert, right? Now you're a salamander person, and you live in the desert. So maybe you are, you know, uh, resistant to, uh, you know, the, the sun. If it's really hot, you're, you can travel really far. You know, you, you might not need as much water. But, you know, maybe cold spells are going to hurt you more, right? Something to that effect. I'm not sure if salamanders are cold-blooded. But anyways, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Clearly, I didn't <laughs> research this before I started talking. But the idea here is just that you would be able to create whatever character you want um, in this world, because working with the GM, you can literally do anything, right? Um, all you have to do is balance it out. So I'm curious what people think about that. Do you think that's way too open-ended? Do you think it would be difficult to do that? You know, would you be open to, your, to players approaching your table and playing anything that they want, you know, within reason? Uh, you know, if they come up with a character concept, you can just make it work. Can you make it work with just the three kind of standard classes, your kind of religious class, your magic class, and your your fighting class, or do you think that that's just not possible? Like, what would a bard be? Could a bard be a magician? Could a bard be a cleric? Aren't clerics the, the ones that, that are, are preaching? Aren't they the ones that uh, should have high charisma and, and talk in front of groups and convert them, right? If you're using them in a more priestly way versus a warrior way. I wonder. So let me know what you guys think about this idea, and BJ, if you hear this, you know, let me know what you think especially. But I'm curious if if you all think that this is just nuts and that we should be like, no, 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 these are the classes that exist in my world and this is what it is, or if we should just let people make whatever they want or maybe something in the middle. Okay, so I got a, a message on Twitter from uh, Rob, a.k.a. Minion, or Minion, a.k.a. Rob, or, you know, <laughs> We Timber is Um... And uh, talking about kind of level caps and uh, the different races, and I think it's super interesting, I'm not going to read the whole thing because um, maybe he'll call in, uh, and I also am not, I think I interpret this correctly though, so we'll see if my shorter version or, or my improv version of what he said works. Essentially, um, it's talking about level caps and the idea that like maybe each of the races are connected to something like the elves, in this example, the elves to the sky, dwarves to the under, underworld, and the uh, halflings to the land. And when you reach the the level cap, you can actually progress still. You don't you don't get capped. You don't stop. But um, what happens is you start to take on a what he's listing what he's calling a, a taboo. So essentially, um, this is where you have this thing where like elves you know get hurt by silver, or you know uh, dwarves maybe can't be in the daylight, or you know you, I guess you'd roll randomly. So you if you want to continue to adventure and get experience points and stay in the world of man, essentially. You are going to uh, become maybe more powerful than other others of your race because you're risking this right, but um you'll also pick up some some sort of taboo which uh could you know be a be problematic right so I think it's a really interesting idea um although i'm wondering if not not to just use those right away because you know i'm I mean like that so i mean i'm just curious uh, uh about I, I, if you want to call in or maybe uh, maybe we can do a, a um, uh, what, do, what do you call it? One of these combination calls. Because I think it's a super interesting idea. Um, you know, I, I'm not opposed to level caps. So for me, I, I almost never look for a solution. I'm, you know, there's a different breakdown of different types of people who play role playing games or whatever. There's like the actor, or I don't know if I'm using the right terminology here, but I'm kind of a gamist. Like, I don't have a problem saying that's the way the game is, and you are an elf, and you can just go to fifth level, and that's it. You know, it is what it is. You know, don't play at Elf if you don't want to go to only 5th level. I don't, you know, I have no problem saying that. And uh, also, realistically, I often think that, like, most people don't reach these level caps. You know, it's, it's pretty rare, at least in my games, unless you start at a higher level. This is, I'm talking about OSR games. For people to really achieve high enough levels, that, that it's really an issue. I mean, if you look at BX, I think the, the, the Halfling is, like, 8th level, and they're, they're the ones that have the, the, the lowest level where they're capped off. So I mean I don't know when the last time I got a character to 8th level in BX. I mean an 8th level BX character is pretty darn powerful. So um I know in OD&D the halflings are only like 4th level, so you know that that could be an issue. But um but even then it's it's like if you think about it, if you if we go back and we think about it, you know, cuz I know that everybody's always like, "Well, that doesn't make sense. Elves live forever." Um okay. I mean, whatever reason you want to narratively do the elves, but let's say for the halflings, I would say I find it kind of ridiculous that in in a lot of the more modern version of D&D, including AD&D, right, I think there are caps on their strength and stuff, but not that high. So your your highest strength halfling can still be pretty darn powerful. You know, if somebody is uh, only three feet tall, or actually halflings are less than three feet tall, I think, I just don't think it's reasonable that they would necessarily be able to cause the amount of damage as somebody who is six foot tall, you know, uh, it just the physics of it, uh, as I understand, and I am certainly no scientist, tells me that's the case. So maybe the reason why the halfling can only get to fourth level hero as a fighting man is that they they just can't be tougher than that. It's like a halfling can fight like four men, and any halfling that fights as well as four, you know, the equivalent of four men is pretty much a, a, an anomaly. I mean, somebody who's three foot tall that can take out four regular men is pretty awesome, right? So, uh, you know, I don't have a problem with that. I know as a player, that might be like, oh, bummer, but you know what? You knew that when you signed up to play a halfling, you know, and again, same thing for for elves, same thing for, uh, you know, dwarves. It just becomes this thing where you can just put it into your system and say, well, you know, elves can only become as strong as a hero, not because of their size or their strength, but because elves are mostly magical creatures and they focus primarily on, uh, you know, magic. That's why they can be a higher level magician, but not a high level fighter. So while they can become skilled swordsmen, they, they become bored with it. They know that they're amazing swordsmen. They never want to progress further because they just don't. And I know every elf is their own thing, but at the same time, you know, we can make generalities, g- generalizations here. In fact, one of the things I have written under my elf uh, idea, which I've been talking about, is the elves, as I mentioned to, to as befo- before, that we've been talking about with the dual-spirited elves, Um, that if you could, I was going to allow player characters, they have to make this decision at first level, of course, to flip-flop it. So I believe that an elf is something like, oh god, I'm going off memory here, I think they're like fourth level fighting man, eighth level uh, magician is their, or magic user, is their cap. But I was going to allow player characters to to flip that. So if you want to say, no, I want my elf to be more like a warrior, then they can go to eighth level as fighting man, but only fourth level as magician. So I was going to allow that flip-flop personally. Um, you know, because that way you can build the elf that you really want. But again, I don't really find a problem with level caps. But this is a good way around it, right? It's like the reason why there is a cap is because they can only really stay so long uh, in the world of man before they start to pick up these traits that we then become to think of as legend, you know? So this is why we don't see, you know, dwarves building, you know, uh, shops. But, you know, I know that it's, in modern DNA, it's very traditional to have, like, the blacksmith in town be a dwarf. But, like, in my OD&D game, you're not going to see shops in a human town where a dwarf is the the tavern owner or whatever. You're just not going to see that. They they don't associate with man because they're basically creatures of another type. They're creatures of another world. They interact with man because we all share the same kind of plane of existence. But they're they're not meant to be hanging out. And again, you can have certain situations in your campaign where you know uh, this is up to the DM clearly where they can have these interactions. You know, maybe a dwarf, uh, you know, a, a female dwarf, marries a, a, a male human, you know, and they have children, and, and, and it becomes very, or if, if it's possible biologically, and it's, it's very controversial. You know, maybe this is a thing, and if you want to play up those themes in your campaign. But generally speaking, I kind of look at the... Um, the, the demihumans is, is essentially being, just as people have said, they're not really races, they're species, you know. So it's like they're literally a different type of uh, creature. They're a different type of animal than we are. So uh, if they have certain restrictions, that's because of that. And it can be magical, it can be any way you want to put it. But I do like this idea, you know, this idea that like, uh, oh, you know, there's a, an elf that's lived in the woods for a 100 years, but, uh, you know, he can only come out, uh, when the moon shines, because otherwise the, the sun will burn his flesh. You know, and this becomes like some kind of rumor. And it turns out that's because that's like a twelfth level elf, you know, who decided to stay out in the world, and, and because they felt like their that was their destiny, and they, they made the sacrifice to to essentially do that. So you know, maybe this is interesting. Uh, you know, it, this could be really an interesting thing. So uh, go ahead, uh, let me know, Rob, if you want to uh, to discuss this. And I'm just talking, <laughs> I'm just talking in circles now. But I think it's it is a really interesting idea. So, we'll wait till he calls in for that, but uh, let's get on to other calls now. Hey, this is Taylor of Clerics
1: Ringmail, calling in from the elliptical and talking about elf swords. Having the spirit of an elf in the blade makes sense, or lends narrative credence to the ego checks, and when the sword tries to take over. For a human, their thinking processes, their decision logic, is going to be alien to the elf and when that becomes irreconcilable even though they're friendly the elf may try to take over in that moment which leads into the next question do elves actually have to make those checks it may make sense for them not to because they would be in more in more tune with the weapon but at the same time, the weapon is effectively another character,
0: so maybe they have to negotiate. Ripe for roleplay. Okay, well, that's an interesting point and idea. This is one of those things that I think is really fun about D and D, and um, you know the different perspectives and just talking about these different things. It's true, right? If a if an elf is in the blade, wouldn't an elf know better that an el- that the elf blade wants such and such? Um, I mean, obviously they don't have to agree, um, and uh, perhaps in the case of an elf, they would get an extra chance to negotiate versus the sword just taking over. Um, unless, of course, it's the special purpose of the sword, in which case, I don't think that the anybody would get a chance. Of course, elves, you know, traditionally not being friendly to, let's say, dwarves, I wonder if uh, a dwarf would have a worse chance of, <laughs> of taking, of being, you know, resisting control or something. If you want to play it that way. I'm not sure if I'm going to do the elf versus dwarf thing. I mean, I am a little bit, but I don't know if I'll do it to such an extent that that would be a deal. But uh, interesting thoughts there. And uh, like you said, Taylor, ripe for roleplay, and that's what I love. I, 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 If I'm going to have an intelligent sword, I want it to be a character in and of itself. I think that's part of the fun of the sword.
1: I should clarify that Carl first brought up the... um. Single Pantheon with different aspects on BJ's podcast, although I had talked about it prior to that on other podcasts. So maybe it originates with me. I don't know. I don't take credit for that idea. I, I'm pretty sure it originates with somebody other than me. But to, to, be, to be fair, Carl Rodriguez first mentioned on BJ's show, I think. I could be wrong. Also, I'm very interested in hearing more about Dwarves in Your World as you guys flesh that out. That's a very cool, some very cool ideas. I really like that. And what's interesting is you're not the first GM I know of in the running OD&D and those kind of games that have made dwarves a hidden race or a lost race. Which is interesting. Chicago Wiz did the same thing in his game. Dwarves were disappeared. You know, people had disappeared. Not sure what it is about dwarves that make them a prime candidate. Of course, elves also are a prime candidate for somebody that's disappeared, right? Hmm. I don't know. That's interesting. I, yeah, I'm definitely interested in hearing more on dwarves. I mean, maybe you can get her to hop on the podcast with you and, and discuss it. it. It'd be interesting to hear a back and forth discussion on on your collaborative world building in respect to dwarves or, or in respect to anything else, I, I'd love to hear that exchange of ideas. I think that would be a really interesting podcast. Unless you've done, I haven't looked on your YouTube lately, unless you have a YouTube video of that, which would also be cool. What else? James Bond. The other thing that's great in James Bond, I'm sure you'll mention it when you do your review, or the chase rules are actually pretty good in that game for an early game. So, anyhow,
0: talk to you later. Oh, that's really interesting. I'm going to have to look. Uh, back at uh, the Chicago Wiz blog. I've read a bunch of it, but certainly not every bit of it. Um, I don't know. I think for me, uh, I'm just now trying to think why maybe people think of dwarves as a lost race. And I'm wondering, uh, versus elves, let's say. And I feel like maybe the way elves are often played is that they are so distant from, you know, human, which would be the, the baseline, right, society, that you don't realize the elves are gone. They're just kind of out there somewhere. And then one day, there's no elves. Whereas I feel like the dwarves are often played as if they interacted in some level with the humans. A lot of game systems use them as, you know, they forge the weapons, they do these things, they are the miners. So maybe the humans have interactions with dwarves more often so that when they disappear, we see them as being lost where the elves have just always been lost. If that makes sense. I mean, I'm just kind of thinking about why I would do it now. But and also, I guess maybe the whole underground thing—you uh, know, the the idea of that dwarves are 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 a race that's underground—and we think about digging up the past by going deeper into the ground. So maybe that comes down too. But that, that's actually a very uh, a very good point. Um, I never really thought about it. Yeah, I'm reading through the James Bond. I can't remember if I said this already in previous, but I really love the way the book is set up. It's um. If I didn't say this already, I'm saying it now. And if I did, well, I'm repeating myself. Uh, for anybody who hasn't seen the the rule book, there's, it's basically like a two column setup, and one column is very uh, very much for the players, and the second column is like some of the nitty gritty rules. So it makes it really a simple read, especially as a player. And I also like how they're laying the book out. It starts off almost immediately at the beginning with an example of play, and it says, you know, you're gonna need to read this now and then read it again once you know what all the rule names mean. But the example of play in my mind really get your your head going and, and and as I'm moving forward in the book and reading things I'm like, oh yeah, I get that. I see how that plays out. And the way they actually do it is they show it as a it's two columns, right? So they've got it written as like almost like the movie script. And then next to it they've got the 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 role play action that's going on behind the scenes. So I think it's really cool. I'm I'm liking it so far. And uh I don't know that uh it's going to be Better, I hate using words like that. That's why uh, than top secret for me. Like as far as how it works, but I, I do think it's designed in a way that the rules themselves seem to lend to the uh, the cinematic vibe. And what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes you are playing games, and like you could take any game, you could take a one page uh, RPG and make it incredibly cinematic if you play it that way, right? But as many people have talked about, including myself sometimes there's some systems that just seem to be made to be played a certain way. And I think that this falls into that category of something that seems to be made to be played in a cinematic way. Um, they do an example of the chase rules in the, the example of play, so I haven't got there yet, like it's how they actually work. But I like this idea of like you bid back and forth with the game master. I guess oh, that's kind of fun. I, I like things like that. I I know that some people might feel like, Boy, maybe I'll do a podcast about this about the idea of what really is adversarial. I think one of the very first uh, things I did was I talked about that. But I think people mistake uh, the idea of a dungeon master challenging the players and uh, you know playing quote against them in a way that is exciting and fun and making a challenge and adversarial meaning crush the players because dungeon master is a dick. I think that's two different things, two very different things. And I believe that you can actually... And I prefer a Dungeon Master that challenges me and makes it difficult. They they make me earn it um, to one that is always going to, to make it so the players can win. Um, although, this game particularly says it's a player-centered game and that uh, the, the Dungeon Master should make it possible for the players to win. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. But I'll, I'll probably... Um, finish reading it up in the next week or so and i'll do a little review i'll probably run um there's actually a scenario in the back uh i'll probably run it it, uh, it you can play it either by yourself or run it for somebody so i think i'll play it by myself and then i will do like a quick one-on-one and run it for somebody and i will do a little review on the james bond 007 game very excited about it thanks for calling in jason hi daniel thanks for your message about wizard of oz yeah i mean i i have to confess i was a uh... I was slightly surprised when I put my episode out that to discover that uh, there was more than one book Wizard of Oz. There's like 16 or something in the series. That kind of uh, flummoxed me a little bit, but, uh, you know, there you go. But it does mean there's a deeper world of information to draw on. And, um, yeah, I, I like the colour theme. I think I'm going to make some use of that. And, you know, maybe with the NPCs I'll give them special abilities they can, uh, you know, as a companion, you know companions to the adventure party, they can like deploy some of their skills possibly to help the party out in in need, you know. So almost like a one, you know, magic item or something. Alright, cheers fella. Thanks for the message. Bye. Oh yes, I'm I'm very excited about what you do with this. I think the Wizard of Oz is is a very, very interesting thing, right? And I remember I think it was the Wizard of Oz that they were talking about. I was watching this YouTube channel where they were talking about Fantasy and film and uh, stuff, and they actually kind of look at The Wizard of Oz as, while it's a fine movie or whatever, as kind of being an example of kind of the beginning of kind of a bad thing happening, where they took away um, some of the darkness that existed in the original stories and kind of cleaned it up and made it like a little bit more pretty. And um, because the actual uh, story is, I mean, in my opinion, is a little bit darker. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of stories in the... I guess, the, the series. I've only actually read the actual, the Wizard of Oz, and then I've also read Wicked, which doesn't have anything to do with it. But there's also a movie, if you haven't seen it, Return to Oz, which I don't know if it has anything to do with the books or not, but it's super interesting, and it's much darker in tone, which I'm kind of digging. So I think that tone of the Return to Oz movie, but the characters and themes and some of the more recognizable stuff of the main Wizard of Oz could be really, really interesting. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. All right. If you've gotten this far, you'll uh, be ready for my my terrible ending, which I always have. Um, I want to thank everybody who called in. Thanks for uh, for listening. Uh, I am trying to be more consistent, although not consistent as in certain days I put these out, but uh, staying on top of calls I have. So um, if you all want to call in, that would be fantastic. You can also uh, reach out to me on Twitter, Bandits Keep, YouTube, Bandits Keep, uh, let me know what you think about these ideas. I think I'm going to, uh, as I mentioned, start shifting my OD&D uh, with Chainmail uh, focus to the kind of the world-building-ish kind of ideas like this, talking about the different classes, how they work, how they interact. Uh, I'll probably start looking at things mechanically a little bit, too, because I think that will matter, right? Because uh, when I'm talking about, oh, Halfling can only get to fourth level, I mean, what is fourth level a hero in, in Chainmail? and like what, what can they potentially do? And we'll see you know, how that works out. So in any case, until next time, be good.